heights to the depths of the sea. And notice, and there he remained with them and baptized. And Jesus evidently didn't baptize, but he oversaw his disciples doing the baptism. It tells us this in in John chapter 4. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though he himself did not baptize, but his disciples. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. John continues his account of the life of Jesus with the emphasis on what he did in Judea. The other Gospels focus on the work of Jesus in the Galilee region. The scripture says he remained with them and baptized. However, the Bible tells us that Jesus did not baptize, but he oversaw his disciples baptizing and doing the same work that John the Baptist was doing. This was Jesus' humble way of recognizing the goodness and importance of John's work and the importance to us of being baptized. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 3. We're going to finish the chapter today. The last three weeks we've been really diving into this chapter um, of John because it spoke of the new birth and how important that is for us to understand. And not only to understand it for ourselves, but to understand that it's the most important message um, it, it's critical to our understanding of, of our walk with the Lord is this idea that we need to be saved, that I needed to have the Spirit of God indwelling in me. And, and Peter says that if we don't have the Spirit of God indwelling us, we are none of his. And so it is very important that we understand this doctrine of the new birth. And so as, we, um, as Jesus had this interview with Nicodemus, um, He finishes that, and then immediately after that, in verse 22, it says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John answered and said to them, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled." 
He must increase, but I must decrease. And he who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's a pretty sobering message, isn't it? Some people will say, well, I believe in God the Father, but I don't believe in Jesus. Well, you got a problem, because if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have the Father either. But Jesus said, if you believe in me, then the, the Father, you, if, if you believe in me, then you have the Father also. But if you don't believe in me, then you don't have the Father also. So it all hinges, doesn't it, upon Jesus Christ. Who, and In Hebrews, it tells us that he's the mediator between us and God. There was no way for me, fallen man, to reach a holy God. There had to be an intermediary, and it wasn't a priest. It was Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, who only alone could take that punishment, my sin, your sin, upon him, and pay that price so that we could be reconciled to a holy God. That's why Jesus is so important. His name signifies what he did and who he is. Jesus means God is salvation. Jehovah Shua, Joshua, as his mother would call him. Jehovah Shua, God is salvation, or God's salvation. Either way, it's accurate, because he is. It's all about Jesus. We sang about it this morning. It's all about you, Lord. It has nothing to do with me. And what a fitting song to sing as we look at this last portion of John chapter 3, where John the Baptist is making it very clear that he must decrease and Jesus must increase. And how important that is for us today. Amen. I need to decrease and he needs to increase. In fact, the more I increase, the more of a problem that I become. I become a greater liability to Christ the more I want to increase. But when I can die to myself, when I can get my eyes focused off of the things of this earth and the things on him, I'm going to be much better for him and much better for everybody else. Because see, self kills. The longer we think about self the more miserable you're going to be. So if you go to a, a psychologist or you go to a counselor, and there's nothing against any of those unless they're teaching you wrong things, I don't need to learn more about who I am. I need to learn more about who Christ is. See, he is the solution. He's the solution. If I'm right with him, I can rest my head on my pillow. It's all about him. Everything centers on him. Amen? Aren't you glad you belong to him? I'm so glad, like I was saying before, I don't belong to the devil. And most people say, well, I didn't belong to the devil either. Oh, yes, you did. Because if you didn't belong to Christ, you belong to the devil. Because the devil has a very large umbrella of things and people in those under, under that umbrella. In fact, anything other than Christ... You were in the clutch of the devil. Does everybody follow me on that? Very important. And I'm speaking to the choir, so it's real easy. 
but it's so true. Let's go back to verse 22. Notice what he says, after these things, after these things, after what things? After the, this dialogue between Nicodemus, after these things, this is a, a phrase that John loves to use, and he's used it not only in this gospel, but you remember when we were in Revelation, this phrase, after these things, or after this, is a Greek phrase called metatauta. And it just keeps the, it keeps the, the narrative going forward, and it gives you a sense of direction. Because now we're going to be talking about something that happened after these things. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what were those things? Well, we just finished talking about Nicodemus and this dialogue. And you remember when we were in Revelation, this phrase was so critical in our understanding of the outline of the book of Revelation. Remember what it said in Revelation 119? Write the things which you have seen, number one, the things which are, and the things which will take place, metatauta, after this, or after these things. And if you remember, that was how we divided the book of Revelation up. In the first two chap- or first, first chapter, we, we, were, we were brought to an understanding of the things which are, which are the things, uh, or the things which you have seen, which is a, a, an understanding of who Jesus is. And then in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, we saw the things which are, which is the church age, which we are still a part of to this day. We are still here on the earth. And then in chapter 4, notice what it says there. It says, after these things. And there it is again. After these things. And there's the the, the third section of the book of Revelation, which lasts from there until the end of the book. After the church is removed. When the church is removed, then all those things in the book of Revelation take place. And aren't you glad that they're happening after (laughs) we're taken out of here? And some would say, well, you're just being an escapist. Yeah. You know, read that, read all that to an unbeliever and say, do you want to be here for that too? Oh, that sounds great. All my friends will be here. Really? You really want to be here through the the worst that the world has ever seen? This period of time, Jesus said, if, if he didn't return and interrupt it, no flesh would survive. Does that sound like a party to you? I don't want to have anything to do with it. But John says, after these things, after this dialogue with Nicodemus, notice that it says Jesus and his disciples, they came into the land of Judea. Now, he was already in Judea because Jerusalem is part of Judea. But he was in the city of Jerusalem. And now Jesus is going to be moving into the more rural areas of Judea. And notice, and there he remained with them and baptized And Jesus evidently didn't baptize, but he oversaw his disciples doing the baptism. It tells us this in in John chapter 4. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though he himself did not baptize, but his disciples. So Jesus' his disciples were the ones doing the baptism. And then we get into verse 23, and it says, Now John was baptizing near Aenon, near Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. I think you would agree that in order to baptize, you need much water to do that. And again, I love the, the symbolism of baptism for us as Christians now, because as we go under the water, and that's why I like to do full submersions. It's not that we can't. I remember last year we had to do a baptism out here, and because we, didn't, we weren't sure about the COVID and what was going on, we just dumped pitchers of water over people's heads. 
And that was fine. But I love it when we can actually go into the tub or into a pool and go completely under. The symbolism that that is is so, is so striking that my old man has been put to death. And as I come up out of that water, I'm raised to newness of life. It's, it's, it's just symbolic of what God has already done in my life and in your life. It's, a, it's an outward manifestation, a representation of what God has already done in you. That's what baptism is. And so John and, and, and Jesus, they're, they're, they're baptizing, but John is baptizing in this area, and I've got this area circled here. Somewhere in this area here, you can see Anon and Salem, which is somewhere in the middle between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, right along there on the west side of the Jordan River. Um, and, and literally, it's somewhere in that area. There's some who believe it's that that's Salem and... and um, Anon is right there. Some believe it's just west of Shechem, which is right down there toward the lower part of the circle. Um, but either way, there was springs of water. In fact, when we go to Israel, there's this place called Sakni. And many of you have gone to Israel. You know what I'm talking about. But we baptize, and it's a spring. And, and, and the, it's a freshwater spring. And it's out there in the middle of the desert, practically, because it's a very dry, arid place. And then you go to this little place, and it's, it is like an oasis. And there's literally water bubbling up. And it's all over the place, and we're all in there, you know, swimming and having a great time. And it's a wonderful place. We do baptisms there. But it's somewhere in that area, in that area where John was baptizing his disciples. Notice in verse 24, back in our text, it says that John had not yet been thrown into prison. And obviously the John that we're talking about is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. It's Sometimes as you read the John's Gospel, you have to understand... Um, who he's talking about. He's talking about John the Baptist here. And remember, John the Baptist was thrown into prison because he was really exposing Herod Antipas and Herodias. He was exposing their illicit affair and their adultery because Herodias was married married to Philip, who was Herod's brother. And Herod Antipas took her to himself. And John was saying, oh, no, you don't. And he was speaking truth to authority. <laughs> and it cost him his life, didn't it? We know that John was not afraid to speak the truth. And there was something in the other Gospels that lead me to believe that there's something about John the Baptist that Herod, he knew he was speaking truth to him. In fact, the only reason he got put to death is because he got tricked by his daughter-in-law, Salome. You remember what happened. As you look at this verse, you can also understand, and this is important for you to understand as you read the Bible, when you read a verse like 24 where it says, for John had not yet been thrown into prison, that would suppose and you would understand that this gospel then was written after that occurred. Right, Because how are you going to know unless it already occurred? Right, And so these three Gospels that precede the Gospel of John are called the Synoptic Gospels. And John's Gospel, as you remember in our introduction many moons ago, that uh, it was a, 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 a Gospel that was really, an, a, a, uh, it came last. And John wanted to make sure that everyone understood that Jesus is God. In fact, that was the whole thrust of the Gospel. Right? 
In fact, in chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These things are written, why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so that is the thrust behind this gospel. And so now we get to verse 25, and he says, Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And remember, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a different kind of baptism than what you and I go through. It can include repentance, but but it, but when we are baptized, like I said before, and we can read about this in Romans 6 and also in Colossians chapter 3, it talks about, as Christians, when we are baptized, we're baptized into Christ's death and in his resurrection. Okay, and so John's baptism was one of repentance. It was a water baptism. And there arose a dispute because there are a lot of things that the Jews did, a lot of rites and rituals that they would go through to purify themselves. But, um, but this was different. In Matthew 3, John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. It was a water baptism. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we know that that's what Jesus did. He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. We see that on Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. But John's baptism, one of repentance. And in Mark chapter 1, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching what? A baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And John the Baptist would look at his cousin coming to him to be baptized. And he, John would tell his followers, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He would point all his followers to John, the forerunner, the forerunner. Notice in verse 26, And they came to John and they said, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, speaking of Jesus, to whom you have testified... Because John did testify of his cousin, Jesus. I mean, think about that. Would you testify that your cousin is God in the flesh, knowing what you know about all your cousins? I know my cousins, and they know me. None of us would be testifying to the other about how, yeah, you know, he is God. (laughs) No. But John looked at Jesus, his cousin, And he said, this is the one. I've known him all my life, and there is no sin within him. What what a great proof text. Because if someone in his own family can attest to his deity, I would say that's a pretty big deal, wouldn't you? In addition to all the hundreds of other things, the prophecies, Jesus is God in the flesh. We must do something with him. For the unbeliever, we have to come to him. Jesus said to Nicodemus, remember, you must be born again. It's not an option. If we are going to go to heaven, everybody wants to go to heaven. Is there anybody here this morning that doesn't want to go to heaven? There's nobody who doesn't. Or everybody wants to go to heaven. But the question is, what's the parameters of heaven? How do you get there? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through me, because he was the only one who paid the price by spilling his own godly, holy blood on the cross for you and I. And God, the Father, accepted it, and it was a done deal. And that's why Jesus on the cross could say in the Aramaic, to tell us they I, it is finished. The price 
of the redemption of man has been paid in full. He basically took out that giant rubber stamp and he stamped all of humanity. And all we have to do is believe in what he did. How simple is that? And yet, for most people, that's the biggest stumbling block. You mean I I don't have to do anything to earn it? No, you just believe in him. Well, that's too easy. I can't do that. Okay. (laughs) You know, aren't we stubborn? God gives us a free gift. He opens up the smorgasbord, you know, and he, he offers everything for us. And all we got to do is come and dine, come and be with him. And yet we're like, no, no, i got to feel like i got to earn it. i got to do something to earn this. Well, to, one of the qualifications of heaven is to understand that you can't deserve it. And you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I never could deserve it. I could never do enough good things to get to heaven. But notice John's disciples here, they're like, Lord, the one that you've been testifying of beyond Jordan, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. All are coming to him. Do you pick up a little jealousy? Do you pick up a little bit of a spirit of competition here? It's not uncommon. It seems that John's disciples weren't aware of what John the Baptist's ministry was all about. And he did tell them. He tells us right there. He says in in verse 28, you know, you yourselves bear witness that I said that I am not the Christ. I'm the forerunner. I'm the one who came before. In fact, he says this, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the ways of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In Malachi, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. This, these two verses are speaking of John the Baptist's ministry, written hundreds of years before he would even be born. Isaiah wrote that 700 years before John the Baptist would even be born. That's a long time. But that was his ministry. He was the bridegroom. He was the one to take the bride, to prepare her, to get her and bring her to him. And once the the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, once he was handed off the bride to the bridegroom, his job was done. And blessed is John, I tell you. Can you imagine? His ministry only lasted six months. And yet, the most significant six months. Don't ever gauge a ministry by how long or short it is. Because from all outward uh, understanding of what John did, his ministry was a complete failure. And not only that, but he was beheaded in jail. Six months. Ah, but the God sees very differently, doesn't he? He does. He sees things very differently. So we ought not to size up ministries. Very wrong thing to do. But John was that one. And notice, they loved John. They loved John the Baptist. They'd been hanging out with him. They wanted to follow him, but they failed to realize what his real purpose was in all of this. They wanted the movement to grow, to continue, and perhaps to be involved in it themselves, which they were. And like normal people, when when something big is happening and, and there's a lot of attention, most of us like to latch on to that. And if you're at the ground, you know, if you're at the ground zero of that work, there's a lot of excitement. And you want it to keep going. You want it to continue to grow. There's it's a very natural thing. But John says, guys, you don't understand. My job is done here. And that's why he would say in what chapter two, he would say, or in chapter one, Behold the Lamb of God, follow him. I'm done. That takes a real man.
That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.